Welcome to Gateway's Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Amen. Well, thank you, band. Um, like I said a little bit earlier, my name is Nick Miner, and I'm blessed to be the student pastor um, here at Gateway. Um, and so thank you guys for joining us. If you we're not here last week. Pastor Bart kicked us off in this Who is Jesus series, um, which is just a quick two-week look at who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, a little, uh, a little bit of the doctrine and theology, what we would say, um, behind this person of Jesus. And the reason we thought this was important was because, of course, every stat under the sun shows that um, culture is drifting further and further away and, and has not and is showing that they don't really have an understand of who Jesus is, of who he claimed to be. And so there seems to be more distance between who we would say Jesus is and also what people understand about Jesus. And in the same way, um, even within the church, even within the walls of the church, there seems to be um, that studies and stats show that, that people are having less and less of an understanding of who Jesus is and who he claimed to be. And so as, as the church and as culture seem to drift further and further apart, or as I like to say, as the, the Bible belt unbuckles, you could say, um, it's really important for us as the church to have a firm grasp, a firm foundation of who this man called Jesus is of what he did for us, of this gospel that we hold on so dearly and so tightly to. Because when you start picking away at who Jesus is, at the divinity of Jesus, at the humanity of Jesus, everything about the gospel starts to crumble away. And so last week, Bart kicked us off looking at John 1, uh, that Jesus was the word, that he was the answer to what uh, society was looking for, to what humanity is looking for, and also to what we are looking for. And so he kicked us off looking at the divinity of Jesus, that he was God, that he has always existed as the Son of God. And to, this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews 10, and we're going to dive into the humanity of Jesus. We firmly believe that this man named Jesus who walked this earth was both God and man. And that when you separate one of these two, if you say that Jesus really wasn't God or he really wasn't divine or he wasn't really a man in flesh, he was more of a spirit or something like that, then our gospel that changes our lives, that changes our eternity, starts crumbling away, starts shaving down. And so we have to hold both of these truths simultaneously. And that's a lofty thing to think about. I'm not going to lie to you this morning. I don't completely understand it on this side of heaven, but it is the truth of the gospel that I have to cling tightly, tightly, tightly to. And so in Hebrews 10, we're going to look at the humanity of Jesus and more specifically how it pertains to this idea of sacrifice. This idea of sacrifice in that somebody gave up something or did something for us that we could never do on our own. If you're gonna sacrifice for somebody else, what that means is that you are willing and able to do something for them that you cannot do or that they could not do on their own. 
And I feel like everybody has a good sacrifice story from, from when they were kids. And I have a couple of them. One involves a bow and arrow and a window, but I won't get into that this morning. And the other involves my first truck. When I turned 15, um, my dad, my father bought me a 2001 Chevy S10. And this was, I think, in like 2007, 2008 or something like that. Um, but I lived, I grew up down by the VA hospital in Columbia, down Leesburg Road, if you know where that is. And my, my grandma lived further down Garner's Ferry and parked down Garner's Ferry um, out front of just this business was this awesome black 2001 Chevy S10, just this little truck. And my dad got it for me for two reasons. One, because nobody in our family had a truck and he wanted something with a bed so we can move around stuff in. And two, because you can only fit like two people in the thing. And so my dad was like, low risk, high reward. This is excellent. And you know, I pushed that, I think I had a V4, I pushed that thing to the max. You know what I'm saying? And so, but my father was one of those guys where when big things happened as I grew up, there was always a written agreement. Does anybody else have a dad like that or you are the dad like that? Okay, so he, there would be a written agreement. When I got my first phone, he wrote down what he expected and then he would take me to like Lizard's Thicket or something and I'd have to sign it. Uh, when I first got an iPod Nano with a little spinny wheel, do y'all remember those things? Like he was like, hey, here's the music you are gonna listen to, here's the music you're not gonna listen to and I had to sign it. And, you know, I'm 15. I'm going to get with my lawyers. Like, what am I going to do? And so, like, we were, uh, when I, when he got that truck for me, um, I had to wait a little bit before I went from permit to restricted, could drive on my own. And so it sat in our driveway for a little bit. And during that time, my dad took me out to breakfast, I think, and, and he had this written agreement of what would happen and would not happen with me driving out on my own. And uh, here, a couple of the rules, as I remember them, were like, um, we're like, you're always gonna help pick up your little sisters. Like, if we need your help, I have two little sisters. Like, if you ever need to go pick them up, we need you to do that. If, if we ever need stuff moved around, you're gonna do that. He said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fill your tank up once a week. Anything over, over that, that's on you, right? And so he filled it up every Sunday after church. We went to Sam's Club and we would fill up the tank. And then if I went beyond that, I had to figure it out. You know what I mean? And so, but that was kind of the rule. And then the last rule he gave me was, I'm gonna take care of the maintenance, like the regular maintenance, but he said, if there's anything beyond that, he said, that's on you. So if you get in a wreck or you get in a fender bender or you wanna add something to it, like that's gonna be your responsibilities. And if I got a speeding ticket or anything like that, any increase in insurance, like I had to pay the difference and the ticket, you know what I mean? And so I got a couple of those and I had to pay for those, right? And so. It was the first summer I ever had that truck. I think it was like three months into having it. And I remember I was driving down 77 to pick up one of my friends. And it was the hottest day of the summer that day. It was like 104 degrees. You guys know how Columbia is, man. It was hot. I remember I was driving down 77 and all of a sudden smoke just comes billowing out from, the, from underneath the hood. Like smoke's just going everywhere. And it did that for about 10 seconds and then it stopped. And my foolish... 15-year-old brain was like, well, if there was a problem, there isn't one anymore, you know what I mean? So I'm just gonna keep, I'm just gonna keep going and we're gonna see what happens. And I turned into her neighborhood and the thing just dies, it just stops. No like, like kind of slowed down and stopped, it just full on stops, right? And so um, the father came out, not my father, but my friend's dad came out and he was looking at it and the thing was bone dry of coolant, right? And when I tell you, I melted that engine 
Like I melted that engine. So we get a tow to a mechanic and lo and behold, the thing needs an engine that costs more than half of what we paid for. You know what I'm saying? And so I remember thinking, dang it, like I can't, can't believe I did that. Like I should have stopped. And my dad told me like, yeah, you should have stopped. Things are smoking. That's a good idea to like, you know, stop driving the thing. And so I remember I was sitting there. We had gotten the work done and my dad came in with the piece of paper. You know what I mean? Like he came in, he had the paper, it had my signature on it and all my people, you know? And uh, he came in and he said, son, you made a mistake. That's okay. Like, you're, like you don't know everything. We're all learning. He wasn't mad or anything. He just said, you made a mistake. And we agreed that, and it was $4,000 replace this engine, right? And we agreed that if anything outside of normal maintenance were to happen, that you're responsible for that, that you're gonna have to pay for that. And he said, but I'm going to be nice, and I'm only going to pay for half of it, but you have to do the other half. You know what I mean? And I'm still making payments to this day. And so, like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not making payments. But in my head, I was thinking, he's going to pay the whole thing. Nope, he paid half. And that's how I ended up working at the Sam's Club that we got gas at every week. And so I was moving carts around the all summer to pay for that truck. But I remember being so thankful that my dad was, one, willing, and two, he was able. He can't, you can't be a sacrifice if you're not, you can't make a sacrifice if you're not able to, you know what I mean? He was willing and able to at least pay for half of it. And I got a good $2,000 learning that, hey, if something's smoking, that's a good idea to halt, you know what I'm saying? Last week, Bart, at least in this service, he talked about some superhero movies. He talked about uh, different lines from different things, and he, he used the phrase nerd. And if you're a nerd like me, I went and talked to him just so you guys know, and I let him know, like, hey, man, that's offensive. Like, you can't use the, ner the nerd word or all that stuff. But the idea of sacrifice is all throughout movies. It's all throughout comics. It's all throughout these Marvel shows that we like to watch. And a key theme when it comes to these superhero movies is, is this person able to save us? Are they able to save us? And are they willing to go out and do that? It's a key theme. Is this person powerful enough to save us from aliens or save us from this huge problem and save the earth, save the universe, save the multiverse? And it's confusing, right? And is this person willing to sacrifice themselves, willing to go and do um, what they're capable of doing? When it comes to this idea of sacrifice, we understand that the person who's sacrificing needs to be A, willing, and A, able to take that step on our behalf. And as we look at the humanity of Jesus this morning, what we're gonna look at and see is that he was both willing and he was the only one able to fix this problem of sin so that we can have a right relationship with God. All other sacrifices all other ways to get to earn righteousness, to get to heaven, all these different things, they just aren't either willing or able to fix this problem of sin. And this morning, as we look in Hebrews 10, we're gonna see that Jesus was the only one willing and he was the only one, only one able to fix this problem of sin in our lives so that we can have a right relationship with God. And I, I joked with Bart this week, excuse me, he camped out in three verses. I'm about to marathon through like 20. And so we can do it, um, but, and I'm gonna break it down along the way. But let's look at, first, the wrong sacrifice and what the wrong sacrifices bring in our lives, in our spiritual lives. So Hebrews 10, one through four says this. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers 
by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. I'm a student pastor, right? And so one thing I really try to hammer into students and our teenagers a lot is that when you detach the Old Testament, this old promise, and the New Testament, or this new promise, when you detach these two sections of Scripture, what you miss out on is this huge history of God's activity, God's action, and God's working through these people to bring about the promise of Jesus Christ. When we remove this Old Testament and all this beautiful history of God's activity in the world, we miss out on what God is up to and what, has, and what God has been doing for all these hundreds of years. And right at the beginning, right in Genesis 1 through 3, I tell students all the time, if you can understand Genesis 1 through 3, you'll understand the rhythm of what is happening, the theme of what is happening throughout the entirety of the scripture. And that theme is that we have a problem and we need somebody to fix it for us. In Genesis 1 through 3, you see that Jesus, that God created everything. He made man in his image. He put them in a perfect place, and they had a perfect relationship with each other. They had a perfect relationship between mankind and God. Everything was ripping and roaring, and it was great. And then man messed up. We brought sin into the world. We brought death into the world. There was consequences of, of, of humanity's actions, but God didn't leave us there, Right? What did Adam and Eve do immediately after they disobeyed God? They became aware of their nakedness. They became aware of their shame. And they went and grabbed fig leaves and tried to cover up their mistakes, cover up their shame, cover up their nakedness. And when God enters the scene, yes, he gives them the consequences of their actions, but he also clothes them with something better than leaves. And in Genesis 3, you see that God takes animal skins and he says, those coverings are good, but I can do something better. And he clothes them with animal skins, which is a far better clothing than leaves. You know what I'm saying? And so it doesn't say it explicitly in the verses, but if somebody is providing animal skins for you, then that has to mean that something died, something gave its life in order to provide that covering for Adam and Eve. And so the story and the theme throughout Scripture is that we need a sacrifice, that where sin brings death God wants to apply life from somewhere else to the death that sin brings. And our ways, our coverings, were never good enough, can never be good enough. But the forgiveness and the coverings that God can provide can get, rid of, can get to the root of this problem of sin and can cover us of all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all of our shame, and all of our guilt. And so you see all throughout the Old, Test Old Testament, this theme of sacrifice. When you get to Mount Sinai, when Moses and the Israelites have exited Egypt, they're in the wilderness, and this is where God says, hey, you're gonna be my people. You're gonna live how I want you to live. I'm gonna give you this law, these rules for you to follow. And when you live out these rules, one, it's gonna be better for you. You're gonna thrive. You're gonna survive. You're gonna be my people. And not only are you going to be my people, but I'm going to use you to bless the surrounding nations, to bless the surrounding people, and you will be my people and I will be your God. And that's what God tells them. 
But he said, hey, when you're following after me, here's the things you need to do. But if you mess up, as God knew they would, as our sin does, right? God knew they would mess up, and he said, you're going to mess up sometimes, but I'm going to give you a way to make things right. I'm going to give you a way to bring, to cover up for your sins and allow you to come back to me. So what did God do? He instituted this sacrificial system where they would offer burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings. Trespass offerings were sins that they didn't even know they had committed. They had to give an offering for that. And you have this theme of offering, this theme of sacrifice that is all leading up to this person of Jesus Christ all throughout this Old Testament. Why? Because as Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of an animal is in its blood. And so the life given through sacrifice would be applied to the death that sin brings, and it acted to cover the sins of his people. But there was a problem. It was the wrong kind of sacrifice. And in Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, you see that the wrong sacrifices is, one, a shadow of something better. That all these sacrifices, this law, this rules, they're pointing to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He says it's a shadow of something better, and it also had to be offered over and over. That it wasn't enough for one sacrifice to cover all sins, but these sacrifices could only um, cover some sins, and it never could get to the root problem of forgiveness, the root problem of that we needed our sins completely forgiven. So he says these wrong sacrifices were a shadow of something better. They had to be offered over and over, and they were a reminder of sins, that year in and year out, as, you, as these people messed up, as they made mistakes, as they sinned over and over, they had to continually offer these sacrifices. What that do was it just served of a reminder that I'm broken, a reminder that I don't have it all figured out. And these sacrifices just served. The wrong sacrifice was a reminder of sins. And ultimately, the core problem, the blood of bulls and goats could not, it was unable to take away sins. It was unable to get to that root problem is that we have this sin problem living within us and the blood of bulls and goats just wasn't enough to completely get rid of this sin issue. As I get, you know, as I get older, problems are all problems, you know, whatever age you are. When I was 15, it was I got to come up with two grand somehow, you know what I mean? But I found as I get older that, you know, problems just get a little, a little bigger, you know what I mean? It gets a little more weighty when, when you have friends that are having trouble having a baby or when you have people in your life that their marriages are on the rocks or just all these different problems, you know? It just seems like things get weighter and weighter. And as things have happened in my life, as Catherine and I have struggled through things, as I tried to deal with things I'm going through, it just becomes clearer and clearer like how much I need Jesus. And one thing I think about often is I just don't know how I could do this thing called life like without a relationship with Jesus, without the joy that he is able to bring, without the peace that he is able to bring in my life. Like, like without Jesus, I, I, I know. Like I can't be a good father. Like I can't be a good person. I can't be a good husband. Like in the absence of Jesus, I just don't have much to bring to the table. And I want to give you guys a, a, just kind of a word an evangelical word this morning for you guys as you interact with people who maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus is that when we're looking at the wrong sacrifices, that they were a reminder of sins, unable to take away sins, um, they weren't able to cleanse the conscious, like 
these wrong sacrifices, it's the same way for anybody who's trying to be, quote unquote, a good person, for anyone who's trying to become righteousness, for anyone who's trying to be a good person or being righteous in this world today, our efforts, all they do is they're bringing about the same results as these wrong sacrifices. When I was in high school, I came to Jesus at a young age, and for some reason, I just got it in my head that even though I'm saved, like I need to put my salvation on my shoulders. That if I read my Bible enough that I'll get into heaven. If I can do all the right things, I can get into heaven. If I sin less, I can get into heaven. If I, if I come to church every time the doors are open, I can get into heaven. And can I tell you something? All that did was just steep me in like shame and guilt because what I found out was that I was relying on my own power and not on the power of Jesus. And so if you have people in your life, this is just, as you share the gospel and as you interact with people in your neighborhoods, communities, workplaces, whatever, know that what the law serves to do is it shows us our need for a savior and it, and it points us to a savior. And so if you're out and about and man, and you're talking to people, and you have good relationships, whatever, if you're talking to somebody, here's a question you can ask. Like, hey, what do you think it takes to be a good person? Or, hey, do you think there's anything on the other side of this life? Like, what do you think happens when you die? Or like, hey, why do you, why do you think that anxiety, depression are just at a skyrocket right now? Like, why do you think that this generation coming up is so anxious all the time? When you, when you ask these questions, what you find is that a lot, of, a lot of people and a lot of people who are living a life without Jesus are trying to have joy, trying to have peace, trying to have love in their lives by their own power. And what I have to tell you this morning is that without Jesus, it's not possible to get there on your own. And that's what these sacrifices all pointed to. So if, these, if the wrong sacrifice brought guilt, brought shame, brought a reminder of sins, then what does the right sacrifice do? In verse five, we see this. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, excuse me, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. What we see in these verses and just these quick five verses is that we have a savior, we have a Jesus who was willing and able to be our sacrifice. That in his divinity, living outside of time and being God, Jesus was able to forgive all past, present, and future sins. That this sacrifice of Jesus was enough for us to come before God and be completely sanctified, completely cleansed, completely made new because he was God. And secondly, the problem of bulls and goats was those sacrifices aren't enough to cover human sins. Why? Because we needed a sacrifice that looked like us, that was us, that was human. And so on the cross, we see this picture of a divine human Jesus 
who was the only sacrifice able to completely cleanse us for sins. Jesus was willing, and Jesus was the only one able to be our sacrifice for sins. And that's a beautiful truth. It's amazing to me when we think of Jesus, when we think of this picture of the gospel, there was a human who walked this earth who was God, who was divine. And at the same time, there was a God in heaven who decided to become human. Like, isn't that wild? Those two truths we hold simultaneously, that a God and man walk this earth, and the beautiful mission trip of God is that he stepped out of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, stepped into time, stepped into this culture, and decided to be our sacrifice for sins. He did what we can never do. He lived a perfect life under the law, and through his blood that was shed on the cross, we can fix this problem of sin in our lives and have a right relationship with God. Jesus was willing and able to be our sacrifice. And what that earned for us, verse 11, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifice time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, for he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sins. So if the wrong sacrifice was a reminder of sins, couldn't cleanse our conscience, had to be offered over and over and over again, let's see what the right sacrifice does for us. One, the right sacrifice was offered once for all sins, was offered once for all sins, that the sacrifice of Jesus was enough to not only forgive the sins that we've committed, but every single sin that we will commit until the day we take our last breath or Jesus comes back here on this earth. And what that means for us in this room, if your faith is in Jesus, is that your salvation is secure. That if you hold fast to the confession of the gospel, that if you confess Jesus as Lord, you don't have to wonder, am I saved or not? You don't have to wonder, am I gonna get into heaven when I die? But you can have confidence in that the blood of Jesus was enough, that you've been completely forgiven of your sins and you are free to pursue Jesus each and every day. The second thing is, if the wrong sacrifice is a reminder of sins, the right sacrifice, Jesus, the cross, when we look at it, is a reminder of forgiveness. When we look to the cross, we see forgiveness. We no longer have to live in a state of guilt. We no longer have to live in a state of shame, wondering (laughs) if, if we're really saved, wondering if God loves us. But every time we look at the cross and, and, and every time we get to gather together as a church body, we're reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus and the forgiveness that that brought into our lives. And the final thing is that it was able to complete, the right sacrifice is able to completely cleanse us from sin. What that means is that we don't have to always focus on what we've done. We don't have to be weighed down by by the mistakes we make, even though we should take those seriously and try to pursue good things each and every day. But freed from guilt, freed from shame, we can pursue good things 
We can gather together as a church body and know that, yeah, we're all messed up. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect, but we have all had our sins forgiven, and we believe in a Savior who is able to do that. And so what is our response? In Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, the author writes this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some is in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you say, see the day approaching. If the right sacrifice is able to completely cleanse us to get us into a right relationship with God, what is our response to this sacrifice of Jesus? And the first one the author says is, hey, draw near. Draw near to God. Through Jesus, through his sacrifice, we can enter into a relationship with God, cleanse and sprinkle clean of our sinful natures. And that is the promise. And Hebrews 4.15 says this. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. The beautiful thing about the humanity of Jesus is when he walked this earth, he went through everything that we can go through. He experienced pain. He cried. He lost people. He experienced hunger. He was thirsty. And we don't have a distant God who doesn't understand what we go through, but we have a Savior named Jesus who walked this earth, went through everything that we will go through, and he understands our weaknesses. He understands our pain. He understands our struggle. And what that means is that we can draw near to him knowing that we have a savior who understands what we are going through. And the temptation I know for me and for some of us in this room may be that when we sin, when we mess up, we think that for some reason God might not want anything to do with us. And, don't, and we let our sin pull us further from Jesus rather than bringing our sin to the feet of Jesus, to the feet of the cross and say, here's where I've messed up, but I'm confident that you've already forgiven when I make mistakes. So draw near to Jesus, that's the first thing. The second thing this sacrifice for, does for us is it encourages us to stay faithful, to stay faithful. The author says, let us hold fast, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promises faithful. And I probably could have put this point a better way, because um, when, when I say stay faithful, I know high school me who thought my salvation was on my shoulders would have thought stay faithful meant that I gotta make sure I'm doing the right things. I gotta make sure I read my Bible every day, that I make sure I gotta pray more and more each and every day, that I gotta share the gospel. And yeah, those are all good things, but they have nothing to do with my salvation. What my salvation fully rests upon the sacrifice of Jesus. And what the author is saying here is that, hey, hold fast to the confession of your hope, stay faithful, which means focus on his promises, not my perfection. Because what I can promise you is that in an hour, in two hours, in three hours, today, tomorrow, each and every day, I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna say things I don't mean. I'm gonna act in anger towards my kids. Something's gonna happen, right? But the good news is that, that through the sacrifice of Jesus, my salvation is secure 
and not dependent on what I do when I leave here or what I do tomorrow or what I do a year from now. But I stay faithful on my confession in Jesus, knowing that his, through his sacrifice, my salvation is secure in him. And the final thing is to encourage one another. Here's what the author says. He says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I don't know about y'all, but when I was studying for this, I found it kind of weird that this passage on sacrifice, this passage about offerings, this passage about God becoming man, in like all these big theological ideas ends with an encouragement to like gather, you know, an encouragement to make sure that when you come together, you encourage each other to love and good works. And I was confused by that for a long time. Like all week, I was like, why does this big sacrifice section of scripture ends with reminding us to gather together and to, to encourage each other to the good things? And, and here's why I think it does. Here's what I've settled on, right? If the wrong sacrifice brought a reminder of sin, if the wrong sacrifice brought shame and guilt, you know what I'm saying? I, if I, this is me dreaming a little bit, okay, so bear with me. If I was a, a, part, a member of the nation of Israel living before Jesus, I can't imagine that that was a gathering to go like sacrifice bulls and goats. Like I, I can't imagine that was an offering or a gathering that they really looked forward to. You know what I mean? Like I can't imagine that going and being reminded of my sin was a, was a fun time together. You know what I mean? And so here's, here's kind of what I've concluded and kind of boiled it down to. This Gateway Baptist Church is, and this is nothing against previous churches I've served at, but this is the first church that I've been able to be a part of a life group regularly. Um, and that's just because of scheduling things, you know? Previously in different churches and student ministry, I had to be there. But just because of our schedule at Gateway, like I'm able to gather um, with people my own age, people who have young kids. And here's something I find myself saying all the time. Gus turns three in a week, right? I say this all the time to myself. Like, he'll do something and I'm thinking, is this normal, you know? Like, is this, should he smack his younger brother on the head with a book? Like, is that like a normal thing or is this something different? And apply that to anything. Apply that to my marriage. Apply that to, to my pursuit of Jesus. Like, we find ourselves in places where we're just wondering, like, what's, what's going on? Is this normal? Is this toddler supposed to be doing this? But what I found is, is that when gathering with a group of people and gathering with other young fathers who are trying to teach their kids to look more like Jesus and are trying to pursue Jesus and lead their households well and have a good, healthy marriage, like, what I found is that you can bring those things to this group and you can be encouraged. And you can realize that, hey, the same things I'm going through or I have a three-nager who's like driving me out of my mind, there's other guys who are going through that too. And we're trying to endure together through it. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say this morning is that when you gather together as believers in Jesus, there is great power in a group of people who through the sacrifice of Jesus have left their sin behind and are pursuing Jesus each and every day. That as, that as believers in the sacrifice of Jesus, we don't have, we still have sins, we still have struggles, but we're not bound by sin anymore. What scripture says is that we're freed from sin. And so what we can do now is instead of worrying about what we've done, 
We can worry about what we can do that is good, that is faithful, that is true. And we can encourage each other to look more like Jesus each and every day. What I love about my life group is we're all different. We all were raised differently. We all have, we all have different likes and dislikes. Like we're different people. Like take any group of people in here, like we're different. But we all believe in the same Jesus. And there's great power when you have a group of people together who are freed from sin and can run after Jesus together each and every day and can bring the, is this weird with my kid? Is this normal? And can work through that. And what I love about a life group here at Gateway, and I love that we have a church that takes discipleship seriously, that takes life groups seriously, is that we create spaces for us to gather together and push each other towards good works. As a, as a student pastor, my number one prayer for these students is that they can be surrounded with friends who are encouraging them to look like more Jesus more and more each day. Because in a world that seems insane, when they head off to college, I want them around people who want them to run after Jesus in everything they do. As a father, as my kids grow older, I'm praying that they have friends around them who are encouraging them, who are encouraging them to look more and more like Jesus and to do good things in their choices. And as a husband, as a person who makes mistakes each and every day, I need people around me who are saying, Nick, make sure you're doing good things and encouraging me to run after Jesus. We all need people in our lives who encourage us to make good choices, good decisions to run after Jesus in the face of a crazy world. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. And man, what an amazing truth that God himself stepped down out of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, and said, I am willing and able to do for my creation what they are unable to do on their own, which is get us into a right relationship with the Father. God, I mess up, I sin, I make mistakes each and every day, but praise God that my salvation is not dependent on anything I do, but it's dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus, whose sacrifice was powerful enough to save me, to give me a new life, and also powerful enough to keep me in this new life. Because God, if it was up to me, I'd lose it each and every day. God, thank you for this church called Gateway, this, this family of believers. And thank you that we create spaces within this church body for people to draw near to Jesus, for people um, to stay faithful and, and declare a confession of hope, a confession of a belief in the gospel. And also that we create spaces where people can gather together and be open, be true, be honest about our struggles, about our shortcomings, about mistakes that we make. And we can also encourage one another, gather together, encourage one another and help each other and encourage one another to try to look more and more like Jesus each and every day. God left on my own, I'll be, I don't know what I would do. I'd be lost, I'd be doing whatever I think, wherever the wind or my heart takes me, I don't know. But when I have accountability, when I have people around me with the same goals, with the same values, with the same vision, we're all stronger together for it. So God, is anybody in this room who doesn't have people like that, who maybe aren't connected to a life group or maybe haven't made that declaration of faith in Jesus, first and foremost, I pray that they would declare Jesus as their savior, declare Jesus as their Lord, 
knowing that it's the only way, the only sacrifice that is able to give us true joy, love, peace, and the only way for us to have a right relationship with the Father. And God, secondly, there are people in here who aren't connected to a life group, who aren't connected to a group of believers who will encourage them, who will push them to good things. I pray that they would take that step to surround themselves with people like that. God, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this worship. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.